on today's show, the latest with Pascal Siakam, as well as what might have been the trade if the Hawks were to get that done with the Raptors and some mailbag questions. All of that is on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1534 of the Lot Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening here in early to mid-August. And today's show is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA or it's the promo code LockedOnNBA for a free white tech hat with any single purchase. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off, we promise you. Also, at the top of the podcast, I should tell you to make us your first listen each and every day. And please subscribe and check us out across podcast platforms anywhere you get your podcasts places like Spotify and Apple, as well as YouTube on the video side. And today's show will be the latest news around the Hawks. There's a little bit of news in the last couple of days, as well as some mailbag questions. And I do appreciate everybody checking out the podcast in recent days. If you missed it, I had a two-part episode earlier this week with Brian Schroeder on the NBA draft for 2024. Never too early to get a uh, sort of a look ahead at that class. Prior to that, I talked to Tower Jones multiple parts. Last week, Glenn Willis as well returned to the show in recent days. So we're getting you two or three, two or three episodes per week here in the dead zone. And if anything else pops up, I will always be here. So please subscribe to the podcast, tell a friend, and we'll dive in right now with today's episode. So on Tuesday, midday-ish, so just only a few hours after I put, posted the podcast with Brian, um, Sham Sharania reported some stuff on Pascal Siakam, as well as Dame Lillard and James Harden. I'll say this now. My biggest takeaway is that we are firmly in the NBA dead zone. And this kind of felt like a post slash update from the dead zone. I didn't really actually move the needle in any single direction if you've been paying close attention. And I understand not everyone has been following every machination. So I'm trying to sort of touch on all of that now. But there's a reason why it wasn't an emergency podcast. A lot of this stuff, basically all of this stuff has been covered on some level on this podcast. But I'm not picking on Shams either. I'm sh- it honestly just felt like, and I don't know this for sure, somebody asked for an update for, you know, above him editor-wise, and he wrote something. It wasn't it was like there was a huge piece of intel that he had to drop to kind of command a report, but the, here's, here's that's kind of where we are at this point in time. But from there, the headliner for the Hawks, in my mind, is that Sham Saranya reported that the talks between the Hawks and the Raptors are, quote, at a complete pause, and that the Hawks are, quote, fully prepared, end quote, to stand pat, basically, with their current roster for the 23-24 season. He did also write that the Hawks, quote, have been the strongest suitor for Siakam, end quote, but that might just be in the past. He talked about it being during Summer League. That's, you know, about a month ago now at this point. It's been a while. Siakam is eligible for a big extension, of course, with the Raptors right now, and the report also says that there have been no substantive conversations around an extension between Siakam and the Raptors. None of this stuff is new, but Shams also firmly cemented that the market for Siakam is, quote, tempered, because Siakam Sai, which I've reported a couple times in the past, continues to put out there to anyone who will listen, including me, that they will not be looking to extend with a new team on arrival. And that means that they don't really want to get traded. I think Siakam wants to be in Toronto for the long term, according to all of the intel that we know at this point in time. Again, all of this aligns with what I've heard basically across the board. For one thing, this is the point of the calendar where a lot of people are just kind of on vacation. There's a reason it's referred to as the dead zone in August. Um, if you've been paying close attention to the entire NBA landscape, there have not been a lot of rumors, not a lot of big news. Like obviously, you know, the stray signing here or there, minimum contracts, et cetera. Uh, USA Basketball is ramping up. We'll talk about that more in a second as well. But, um, you know, it's not like there's a lot of news being churned out. So that's part of what's going on here. 
But once the deal did not happen in early to mid-July, when there was really a lot of buzz about it, it was more likely than not that it wouldn't happen. And look, this, that does not mean that this is totally dead. Shams is not reporting that, just that, just that they're at a pause. I'm firmly not saying this is absolutely dead. I would not say that unless I actually thought it, and I don't believe this is dead in any means. But the latest buzz is that there isn't anything happening there now. And you know, once you get into camp or whatever, maybe things change, maybe the Raptors change their tune. But it points to the fact that there are not active talks right now, and that things have seemingly cooled to some degree. The other part of the Shams report, which I intentionally did not lead with, but certainly is important, is that the Hawks, he reported that the Hawks, quote, have offered a package centered around DeAndre Hunter, A.J. Griffin, and draft compensation to Toronto for Siakam. Obviously, that was not enough to get it done, or it would have happened, because Shams also wrote that the Raptors, quote, are believed to have upped the price on any possible deal at each turn. So basically, that means that, according to his reporting, the Hawks offered that package, and Toronto wanted more. So one more thing to keep in mind here is that that package, which is just Hunter, Griffin, and draft stuff, actually does not work salary-wise for Siakam. One of the reasons why a lot of the buzz has pointed to Capella being in a kind of three-team deal around Toronto is that, you know, Hunter and Griffin does not work. It doesn't even come close to working because Siakam makes $38 million. You have to match salary, not all the way to 38, but certainly into the 30s. So keep in mind, it cannot be just Hunter, Griffin, and draft compensation. You either have to throw in some more money, whether it's, you know, Patty Mills or Sidney Bay or Click Appella or whatever, but it cannot just be Hunter and Griffin. Let's just say that right now. Um, this is something that I've also talked about, talked about multiple times on the show, is that Toronto seems to be a difficult trade partner. And no one seems to know what they're looking to do in the aggregate. Like, there's lots of people that I've texted with or called and talked about the Raptors in the last several weeks. That basically just some version of, like, what is Toronto's plan? Like, nobody really knows. They're not really having a clear direction. This is not a Raptors podcast, but they're kind of built strangely. They lost they lost Van Fleet from a team that already wasn't very good last year. They're obviously worse now on paper. Their best three players are all forwards in, obviously, Siakam, OG Ananobi, and Scotty Barnes. Barnes is not like, in my, at least in my mind, a guy to kind of build around. He's an interesting piece for sure, but not like a number one guy. OG, same kind of thing. Siakam's a great player, but he's getting older, obviously. A rental contract, only one more year on a contract for Siakam. So the Raptors are kind of in a weird spot, let's just say. Um, but I know Hawks fans will not like to see and did not like to see, honestly, AJ Griffin's name in a package that was reportedly offered by Atlanta. I have said before, I would not include AJ, um, and I stand by that. The biggest reason is beyond just AJ being a good prospect, because he because he obviously is, he's very young. But, and look, you have to give up a lot. Uh, there's something that, there's sort of a disconnect here. Like, I've got pushback from Raptors fans talking about, like, how I want to get Siakam for nothing. And no, I, I mean, I, I think that fans in general want to get the guy they want for as little as possible. It's a very natural thing. I am fully aware that you have to trade a lot a lot of compensation to get a star level player like Siakam. Like no, no matter where you think about Siakam, he's a perennial all-star caliber player. He's very good. So the big thing though, is he's on an expiring contract. You're getting one year of control and then unrestricted free agency at the end of that. And again, as, as I said before, his camp is leaking all over the place. They do not want to be traded and they do not want to sign an extension. So that means if you are the team that's trading for him, you're taking on some real risk that it might be a one season and done thing. That does not mean that it definitely would be. I am not saying that Siakam definitely would leave after one season, but it is one year of control. So if you include Griffin, again, if you include Griffin, I think for me, that has to basically be it. You can't be, you, this is my opinion again, but for the Hawks, you cannot be trading Griffin 
and draft compensation, and even more than that, which is what Toronto is asking for, for, again, one year of Siakam and basically zero indication that he is interested in staying in Atlanta. Again, he might stay, but ultimately, if he does even, there's a question about whether that's going to be a great contract. He'll be 29, 30 years old, and I think if he were to stay, it's obviously several steps ahead, it would probably be for a lot of money and probably would not be a slam dunk awesome contract. So all that said, we'll see if things can rekindle on this topic. I would not even love the reported package on its own, including Griffin and draft stuff, but even anything beyond that is probably an overpay. And look, I, again, I don't blame Toronto for asking for a lot, but it's kind of this weird situation where the incentives are different. Toronto wants a full value package back for their star player. And I get that at the same time though, the Hawks, where they stand and where Siakam's intel is about not wanting to necessarily be traded and one year left, like it, you have a hard time paying market value, which is, again, why he's not been traded to the Hawks on August 9th. Obviously, the Hawks have interest. They've had interest the entire time. But there are, there are reasons why this has not happened. And the big thing is that Toronto's asking for a lot. And the Hawks, I think, rightly have sort of drawn the line in the sand somewhere. Now, I would draw my line even before you get to AJ. But uh, it, it does seem, according to Shams, I, I trust the reporting. I, I've not heard a denial otherwise. Like, there's a chance this didn't happen, but always with the stuff like, that's reported like this. But um, I trust the reporting as of right now. It's just that um, if anything more than that would be a pretty pretty significant payment for where I believe the Hawks are right now in terms of where they are in their cycle, how good they would be, um, and the again, again, crucially, the lack of long-term control over Siakam from a contract perspective. So... That's all we have right now on that particular topic. We'll have some more stuff coming up on the news front and some mailbag questions later on in the podcast. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs is fantastic bringing fit, comfort, and versatility to the table with their products. I feel great and comfortable in my own skin while wearing Bird Dogs gear. And Bird Dogs stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and led to get that sculpted look that you're looking for. All of their clothes do. They really fit fantastically. You can tell, you can tell the difference immediately when you, when you put them on, how they make you feel and how you look in all of their gear. They fit much better than regular shorts, by the way. They have to be made that, of that stiff or shrinking cotton that you might be familiar with. Bird Dogs also fixed the issue overall by inventing their cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki, but also stretches, giving that slimmer fit without actually having to sacrifice any of the movement. They use anti-sweat looking fabric to keep, keep you cool and dry all day long. And in the end, Bird Dogs makes all kinds of fantastic products. They have joggers, they have shorts, they have, you know, all kinds of stuff. Up and down, up and down the uh, website list is a fantastic way to kind of browse and honestly just buy it all. It's fantastic stuff. So you want to check out all of their offerings at birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA. When you get there, use the promo code LockedOnNBA. And when you use that code, they'll throw in a free white tech hat with any purchase. One more time, the place you want to go is birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA. Okay, some more news slash mailbag questions, some stuff that I've just been hearing a lot about and being asked about a lot. One thing actually comes from three different people in my life, I will not name them, asked me about a tweet from Dalton Trigg, who covers the Mavericks very well, does good work out in Dallas. And the tweet shared what an offshore betting site listed as the, quote, opening night starting center odds for the Dallas Mavericks, which might sound a little bit strange, obviously. I'm not going to list the betting site. This is an offshore site, and we use FanDuel for everything on this podcast and the Lockdown Podcast Network. But the reason people were sending it to me was because Click Capella was listed as the minus 120 favorite, according to this tweet, to start for the Mavericks on opening night. And obviously, Capella is still on the Hawks. So a few things here. Number one, these offshore sites share these kind of odds explicitly so that people share them. And they get free publicity and PR from these things. That's not my opinion. That is definitely what happens. It is why they do it. They will even admit that to you. They take very, very low limits on those wagers across the markets. They don't actually mean anything 
from an odds perspective. Now, I'm not thinking on this site in particular. Let me just tell you this, that an offshore site listing odds does not mean they know anything. In fact, people that cover the team know more than these odds makers do um, on these kind of fringe bets like this. In fact, they're usually wrong. And again, it's PR stuff. Number three, I do think that if, again, if Capella was traded between now and opening night, Dallas is the most likely team. Not the only team, but the most likely team that would actually probably get Capella both from what I've actually heard and just kind of using logic on the Mavericks. For one, Dallas would be much, much better with Capella on the team. I know they drafted Derek Lively, but that's a long-term play. Lively's not going to be ready to help them at a super high level as a rookie at 19 years old. Capella is really good and would help them. Um, Dallas is also trying to win right now, very obviously, with Luka and Kyrie and Grant Williams just added. They're trying to win now. That's very clear. They're trying to appease Luka. They're trying to win, et cetera. Capella would help them do that. At the same time, there is not an obvious two-team deal between Atlanta and Dallas. If there was one, it would have probably already happened. And, you know, they talked around the draft around Josh Green. Dallas said no, understandably so. Um, but if they're not going to trade Josh Green, the Hawks rightfully are kind of probably looking at things like, like, what do you have to offer? They have some, they have some draft compensation, but their matching salary is not great. Like Tim Hardaway Jr. is a bad contract that the Dallas has been trying to trade all summer long. I don't think the Hawks want Tim Hardaway Jr. by any means. Um, Maxi Kleber would be interesting if they sort of build around point, but I think Dallas wants to keep him because he's very versatile and a good big man. So long story short, uh, there is a reason just roster-wise on both sides why this deal has not happened yet in a two-team deal. As I mentioned before, the reason why I'm talking about this now immediately after the Siakam thing is because I do think that I still believe this is not a definite, but if, if a Siakam deal happened, the most likely way to do that would be a three-team deal involving Dallas and Capella, which is why I'm including that here. But it was kind of funny because, you know, it's got it, – it, I will say this, that odds release did what they wanted it to do. People got a lot of attention on that. Hawks fans found it. I get all that, but um, I'll say this. Like, I think the Hawks obviously should consider moving Capella, at least consider moving him. I've done the whole thing about Capella and Dallas all summer long. There's nothing really fresh, though, intel-wise. I made a few calls just to check on things. Nothing's really changed. Dallas kind of wants Clint. The Hawks are open to moving him, but Dallas doesn't really have a great package. They're not trying to push all their chips in right now. And the Hawks, on their side, you can disagree if you want to, but for the Hawks right now, they are not – trying to move Capella urgently. They are open to it. They're, they're open to it, but I know a lot of Hawks fans want to see a Kongu start, all that stuff. I'm sure we'll talk about it again as we get closer to the season. But right now, the Hawks, as of August 9th, are not trying to move Capella actively in the way that people might want them to at this point. Um, the other big kind of newsy topic in the last couple of days involving the Hawks is Trey Young and Team USA. So for a long time, this has been a topic. Uh, he's not, of course, on the World Cup team. The World Cup team uh, had its first scrimmage earlier this week in Las Vegas before they go across the pond for the remainder of the World Cup run. And for the record, him not playing this time does not take him out of consideration for the Olympics next year. But if the usual cycle kind of occurs, a bunch of the top, top, top guys who never play in the World Cup will choose to play in the Olympics, which makes things harder for Trey to actually get on the Olympic team. But, you know, well before this summer even, Trey has been very vocal both behind the scenes and in front of the scenes, that he wants to play for Team USA. That's not a mystery. He's been very open about it. And then this week, or maybe last week now, uh, Trey was on a podcast with Gilbert Arenas and again said that he, quote, definitely wants to play and that he believes he should be on the team. A very rational belief, by the way. Obviously, guys are all confident at this level, but Trey has a real standing to think he should be on the team. Um, then Mark Stein, a very good reporter, of course, wrote that Trey, quote, does not appear to fit the mold the USA basketball side was seeking, end quote. 
And Stein also wrote, I encourage you to read this, but he said that there was a, quote, natural presumption among Hawks fans, end quote, that Grant Hill, who has Hawks ties as a part owner, a very, very small part owner, but still a part owner, would boost Trey's chances, but that has not been the case at this point in time. I'll say this. I think there is some nuance here, which I'll touch on in a second. But in general, I do think that it's pretty silly that a player of Trey's stature, who, again, explicitly wants to play, has not been given the chance to do so. This year's World Cup team would be a great time for Trey to play because there's some real guys on the team. I'm not saying this is like a terrible team. It's not. But it's not like the absolute A team either. Like, it's not overflowing with the top, top, top guys. Austin Reeves is on the team. Nice player. Not as good as Trey Young, obviously. Bobby Portis is there. Um, Paul Boncaro, obviously, is going to be a, a bright spot in the future, but not the same level player as Trey. I can, I can go on and on and on. But you could argue there isn't a single guy on the team better than Trey right now. I mean, I'm, I'm open to debate on guys like Anthony Edwards or whatever. Like, there's guys that are up there in the same general area maybe as Trey. But if you wanted to argue that Trey would be the best player, like at least in the NBA sense on this team, I would not argue with you because he's proven probably is more, more than anybody else that actually is there. Anyway, um, I think that it does feel crazy on some level that Trey would not be there if he wanted to be. And most guys who have accomplished what Trey has accomplished don't have to like plead to get on the team. Because of that, and I'm, obviously they're just defending their guy, Hawks fans are mad about this. And I don't blame anybody for that, honestly. It doesn't feel like Trey's gotten the most fair shot at this. Like some of the leaks that have been out, been out there have not been great. I'm not, not going to go through all of it. You know, there was the one training camp that Trey did go through with Team USA. He got pink eye in the middle of it and left camp. Um, they took Derek White over him at that point in time. There's been mixed reporting on that. I was not there. I don't know what happened um, or like what the vibe is around Team USA. I've not been covering that team, but there's been, you, you can probably find all the reporting out there on that. But look, I will say just to throw the nuance out there and be even handed about this, there are some, some basketball questions with Trey in FIBA play at the top, top, top level. Again, I am not talking about this year's team. This year, I'll say this plainly. He should be on this year's team if he wanted to be. And he would help this year's team. He would be in their best 12. No question about that. I do think that there is a real argument that he would not be on the 12-man team for the Olympics if, huge if, everyone plays that could play. And by that, I mean guys like Steph and KD and whoever else. A lot of the criticism of Trey, for me, is disingenuous. It's not all crazy because I don't think anyone could say with a straight face that Trey is a perfect FIBA player. He is really small, which can hurt you at that level. He defensively, obviously, is not great. We, we all kind of know that. And he has some limitations as a result of that. But there are also very, very silly narratives about Trey overall, even, and that he would still be an awesome offensive player in any context. Trey can really shoot it. He's one of the best passers on the planet, like top five, um, you know, including FIBA. Like, he would help their team. So I think this year he'd be one of the best players on the team in general. Um, Olympics-wise, I'm, op I'm open to that debate and everybody plays. But anyway, I think it's more so for me. Um, I'm not going to be the guy who comes on the podcast. If you're a new listener, I'm not going to be like in my fan bag. Like I, I cover the team at a professional level. I'm not going to be doing that. But I do think that Hawks fans are right to be bothered by this because that's their guy, number one. But also like if he wants to play, he should be playing at least this year. Olympics, maybe something else. But I think Trey, it's going to sound crazy because honestly, if you asked me this five years ago, if you said, OK, five years from now, Trey Young's going to have going to be really, really good. Is he going to be overrated or underrated? I would have said probably overrated because generally speaking, guys who put up huge stats can be overrated. I think Trey's pretty underrated in the national consciousness right now. I think there's this like weird desire, not in every circle, but some circles to like pick him apart in every way, in a way that other guys that are on his same level don't have to really get all the time. 
he's not flawless. Like it can be tough to build around a six-one guard who can't really play defense and has limitations. But Trey Young is really good, and for whatever reason, that gets lost sometimes. I don't really know why. If it's you know, to each their own. But uh, I'll, I'll just tell you what I think. I think Trey's really good. He has limitations, but it is what it is. And I think that again, if he wanted to play this year in particular at FIBA, he should have been there. Olympics, we'll see, and then maybe this will change uh, the course of things with the sort of new coaching staff, Steve Kerr in there. But, uh, yeah, at this point, Trey's never played with the team. It's a little bit weird because he, he obviously wants to, and uh, we'll leave it there for now. Okay, one more break here from our sponsor. We'll come back with some mailbag questions from you at the end of the pod. All right, and I've been actually going a little bit longer than I thought, so I might only do one question, maybe two. We'll see how this goes. But a question from Vic, who says, is there any update on extensions for Sadiq Bey and Onyeka Okongwu at this point? The short answer is no. I will still walk through a few things here. For one thing, it is very normal for no extensions to be done with these guys. Now, there have been, to this point, five rookie-scale extensions so far this summer. Five. Four of them have been basically at the max or right at the max, basically, or you know, close to it. Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball, Tyrese Halliburton and Desmond Bain all signed for huge max level deals. The only guy who has signed a first round rookie extension so far this summer that was not at that level is Isaiah Stewart. He signed 464. That was uh, an interesting timing thing, but that's we'll come back to that in a second. Essentially, though, this is what happens. The max guys get done fast. If you remember, Trey Young did his deal right away for the Hawks when he was eligible. Trey was on that max level on that level of where guys like Anthony Edwards are now. And that got done quickly. That's what happens. Lucas signed the same year. Um, every year, the top, top, top guys basically always sign on somewhere around July 1. It is what it is. But then usually the vast majority of guys wait until September, October, etc. The deadline, as a reminder, to get one of these deals done is usually 6 p.m. Eastern, the day before the season actually starts, which I believe is the case again now. So basically – all the way up into you know early to mid-October is the deadline. Last year, if you remember, DeAndre Hunter signed his extension on the last possible day. And that was not out of the ordinary because deadlines spur action. That's one of those things. Um, the year before, Kevin Herter signed on the last possible day as well. The majority of deals that get done happen at the very, very, very end for the non-max guys. Um, again, deadline spur action. That's the case with rookie extensions. It would not be shocking at all if one of these got done before. Like we saw Stewart, these deals do happen. Stewart got done, but no one should be panicking right now. The other thing is that neither a Kongwu nor Bay is the easiest position to like, I don't know, project on what extension might look like. For instance, a Kongwu was the sixth pick in the draft, of course. He's played very well in his career, but the first two years of his career, he was kind of banged up. Didn't play a ton compared to a lot of guys at his level. Has only 28 starts in the NBA. That's not his fault. That's because they have Capella, but he was drafted by a team that just have they, they just went and got Capella, who played really well, etc. Then Kongo also has a pretty massive cap hold if he gets there because he was drafted so high. And I think for me, he's already proven as a guy who's going to play at a starter level if he's given the opportunity. And his side knows that. Given how young he is and how high he was drafted and how good he is in my mind, it makes total sense for his side and his agent to ask for a lot of money because, like, I think he's going to be worth that. On the Hawks side, though, they can, and I'm sure they probably will, argue that a Kongwu is not quite as proven as some guys in the same spot because he's been coming off the bench for them. And they want to get a good deal on him as possible. Like It's not like it's insulting on a Kongwu. It's just the reality. I think the Hawks will probably at least try to use Isaiah Stewart as a comparison. And again, that was 464. 
to be very clear, Okongwu is a better player than Isaiah Stewart. I'm not saying otherwise, but, and I think he has a lot more upside than Isaiah Stewart, but Stewart's played a lot more. They have like kind of similar counting stats. I think if the Hawks will probably at least try to use, to do that, I would be shocked if Okongwu signed a deal in, even in that range, but the Hawks will at least try, I would guess. Um, on base side, he got traded in the middle of the third season, obviously. As we discussed that at the time, there were rumblings in Detroit that he wanted big money already in extension. Uh, on the positive side for Zizek, he's been exceptionally durable. He's played at least 70 games in each of his first three seasons. He's always out there. He is a really, really good shooter. Um, we saw that last year. He's a very, very helpful offensive player because of the shooting and the fact that he is willing to shoot and fire away, and he's bulky. He can sort of beat mismatches, et cetera. Um, he's also played almost double the amount of minutes total in his career that Okongwu has played. That's kind of funny, but it's true. Uh, on the other hand, there's obviously uncertainty with Bay on whether he's even a starter because of his defense. Um, I think he can obviously start for a lot of teams, but I'm not sure he is definitely a top you know, 100 player in the league kind of guy. It is what it is. It's not to say he's not valuable because he is, but he doesn't have the same upside that Kongu has. And he was drafted lower, lower cap hold, and the Hawks just traded for him. But you also have to say on the more positive side, if you're base camp, guys that have his size, six seven, and with some bulk, who can really shoot, can really provide value. I think Bay's next deal also will be his absolute prime years from age, you know, 25-ish to 28 or 29-ish. That's probably going to be a good deal. You would imagine if they overpay. So it would not be a surprise at all to me if both guys did extensions or one guy did an extension or neither did an extension because of all the weirdness and the uncertainty around all of them. Plus the cap is going up each and every year. Both sides know that. And maybe that kind of spurs some action. Um, there have been rumblings in the past that like, Ownership level got really involved and like spurring the Hawks to pay Hunter a year ago. Um, that kind of stuff can be a nice factor too. Like if Tony Wrestler just decides that they're, they're going to do the deal in October for either one of these guys, then they're going to do the deal probably. It is what it is. Um, I think that there would be a pretty big split on where a Kongwu might land an extension if he were to do one because, of, again, its centers are weird. The market there is odd. Um, what I already said about how little he's played overall, but if Bay wants like full-on starter money like that, like Hunter got – that's a lot of money for a guy who may not be a starter for you. It is what it is. Like, it's still a valuable player, but we'll see. So that's the long answer. The short answer on, like, whether they, there's any update is that, no, it's been pretty quiet because we're in this middle period now where it would be kind of a surprise if it got done in the next month, but we'll see. I think that if I had to guess, we'll kind of just hold our hold the line until, you know, early, early October, and then we'll check back at that point in time. Once media day arrives, I am very confident if no deal is done that, you know, if nobody asks, I will. Uh, I'll probably ask both guys what it's like kind of what they're hearing. Most guys don't want really to talk about it. Like Hunter kind of downplayed it last year. I remember a lot. Um, and that's, that's the right to do that, obviously, but it is what it is. And I think that uh, I would not panic either way. I think there is potentially some value to be had on both sides for the Hawks, um, especially Kongwu, because I think he's going to be making a lot of money down the line. He's be very good. I'd imagine at this point in time, but some nuance there. And the Hawks do have some points to negotiate if they want to negotiate. I have some more stuff. Uh, I'll do one more. Um, cause just, I'm feeling generous. Uh, I'll, this would be a quick one though. Question from, from Hassan who asked about Kobe Bufkin. Why did the Hawks choose to play him at the one in summer league when he never played that role before and likely won't fill it going forward? And can you explain a little bit more about what you saw from him that made you feel good about him going forward because, he, because you're pretty high on him, et cetera. Um, the short answer there is that this is something that the teams do a lot. Teams like to push their guys, some teams, not every team, push their guys in summer league settings for development. I think the Hawks were very open both on the record and off the record about how they kind of knew Kobe wasn't going to be great at the point right away. Because as Antonio Lang said into microphones repeatedly that entire week as the summer league head coach, 
He'd never really done that before. And they knew that. So it's more of a development tact. I know that's not going to be satisfying for fans that are just looking to watch guys play well and get excited about, but that was strategic. They wanted to do that. And as far as like him not doing that in the future, I think that their plan ideally would be for him to be able to play both spots. I get that they have Trey and DeJounte, that, so there aren't a lot of point guard minutes, but one injury to Trey or DeJounte, even if it's for two or three weeks, and suddenly you need someone to, to play point guard. Right now, it's Patty Mills or Bufkin. And I'm not saying Bufkin's going to be able to do that right, right now as a rookie, but I think long-term, again, long-term, I think he's closer to a two, or the, two than a one. But if he can play the one for you in a backup role, there's some increased value to that. Do I think he would have looked better had they signed a you know run-of-the-mill G League-level point guard? And had him play next to that guy in summer league, yeah, I think Kobe would have been better for that, and fans would probably be higher on him right now than they are. But I think for development, it does make sense for him to play on the ball and you know go through growing pains. And they, they acknowledge that. Like no one was acting like he played great in summer league and like he was his finished product. Even the team, like they were pleased with what they saw from him behind the scenes, leadership wise, mentality wise, focus wise. But like they acknowledged, like he had some ups and downs for sure. Like it is what it is. I would say the same thing. I kind of feel the same way about him as I did before summer league um, pros and cons for sure, but he has a long way to go. But as far as the question is like why the Hawks actually chose to play with the one in summer league, I think it's because they wanted to push him. Um, there are examples of that. I can probably name other ones from other teams or whatever, but that is the reason why you don't have to agree with it. And I totally get that. And I think, again, he would have looked better if he had played basically just the two in summer league, but that's not what summer league is for, even though it's on TV and people get excited about all that stuff. Okay. That's it for today's podcast. I do appreciate everyone listening to the show as always. I have some more mailbag stuff to get through later on in August. Um, the schedule should be coming out in the next couple of weeks. We have not heard just yet on the exact timing. That's probably an episode or at least a half episode in itself. When that comes out, we do have this a little bit of preseason stuff for the Hawks out there. They, of course, are going to Mexico City, which we talked about earlier in the uh, in the summer. But that should be on the radar in the coming in the coming days. I have got questions about what their like, kind of offseason wrap up stuff, like best thing, worst thing, salary cap stuff, um, starting power forward stuff. We'll get the I'll get my questions right now. Uh, Kings pick stuff, etc. There's lots of stuff to talk about in the near future. But I will. Uh, I really appreciate all the questions. Number one. And there are three ways to get questions answered on this podcast. Number one, send them to me on Twitter slash X, either at BT Roland or at Locked on Hawks. Also, you can send them to me. Number two, I have a Gmail account. It's locked on Hawks at gmail.com. If you have a, a sort of a longer question, or if you're not on Twitter, that's cool. Send it to send it to me there or a new kind of newish way. It was always available to you. I want to push it a little bit more. If you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Ask a question in Apple Podcasts on that. If it's not, if it's one that I can answer, I will definitely do it on the show, or I'll send or I'll figure out a way to to answer some more of those. Maybe I won't get to probably all of them, but obviously reviews are appreciated in general. But if you want to ask a question there, I will find it and see it and read it and all that fun stuff. So thank you for listening to the podcast. Please, please, please subscribe to the show. Uh, schedule wise, I'm not sure when the podcast will be back. Maybe not till earlier next week if nothing else happens. But we are in this groove now, and over the next probably five six weeks, something like that. We're, we're only going to do like three per week versus the five-ish per week during the season. So it's a dead zone. Forgive me on that. But we had two early this week with Brian. This is, the, this is the third show. So please stay tuned. The best way to get the podcast always is to subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, everybody. I really do appreciate it. And we'll see you all next time.